What's up everybody, my name is Christopher, this is Leighton, and this is The Ostazen Show. Today, we are talking about a very serious subject, it's called bloat. But first, we'll get in a quick word from our sponsors. So if you live in Arizona and you haven't yet come and experienced our awesome school partners dog training, you're really missing out. We're one of the best schools in the country, we train over 4,000 dogs a year here at the school, and we legit have of the best staff that you could find anywhere, so you gotta try it out. And uh, are you going to talk about snake proofing or am I? Uh, we, yeah, okay. we can talk about snake proofing. So the program that I really enjoy and that is one of my pet, uh, pet favorites and has been for, oh gosh, six, 17 years I think we've been doing it now, yep. is snake avoidance training. It started way back when uh, I was involved in search and rescue training and we weren't happy with the methods that were being used for training our search dogs. And it kind of developed from that into something we use now in law enforcement, military, border patrol, um, and of course civilians and snake proofing really is a program if you hike if you travel if you hit out I mean, really you go any, anywhere if in, your the, dog's in the desert yeah absolutely yeah. snake avoidance is really is really something you should consider and we're going to be talking a bit more about this I think in a couple of weeks from now we're going to have a whole program actually dedicated to this um, it's not perfect nothing is no training is ever perfect but it certainly goes a long way to protecting your dog and we're going to talk a lot about that Later yep. on. Yeah, and if you uh, if you guys aren't lucky enough to be in Arizona where you can't train with us hands-on, check out Hey Ludwig on Facebook Messenger. It's a new kind of app that we've released where you can go message it, tell it about your dog, and then Ludwig creates personalized curriculums based on your dog's behavioral traits to address problems, teach tricks, train obedience, and a whole number of other things down the line for as little as a dollar to five dollars per program. These are programs we charge literally hundreds, thousands of dollars for here at the school. Uh, but we packaged it really nicely into uh, into an online app on Facebook Messenger. So definitely check that out. If you guys are watching, comment below, say hi on Facebook Live. Remember, we do these every single Wednesday at 6 p.m. And uh, now we'll get into our subject about bloat. Yep. So just one more thing that I wanted to mention as well on the, on the whole program thing. If you are on Facebook, obviously this is how you're getting this. But Christopher mentioned to me the other day that we also do this podcast or it is also live on... Yep, so we're, uh, we're live on Spotify, iTunes, really anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, on the, on heyludwig.com, uh, there's a, a link there for the Ostazen Show. You can also access it through partnersdogs.com. We have a link there under the resources tab. Uh, so you can watch all the past episodes that have occurred. You can listen to it. You can listen to us. So if you're driving, you don't have time to actually watch it live. You can always listen to it and, and everything. So we typically release all of that around two or three days after. It's on YouTube as well if you want to watch the uh, the video and so forth. But uh, yeah, otherwise tune in live on uh, on Facebook so you can actually tune in and uh, and engage with us while we're doing it. And we really appreciate that, all the help that we can get. Uh, you know, this is a new thing for us. And uh, if you can share with your friends, click on the little share button next to the live feed that you're getting right now we can't always see who's exactly online it's difficult for us to do that and also check on our notes um, but it, it would be uh, it would be great if you guys could actually do that so let's get on to bloat so bloat's a subject is kind of sad um, it's it's sad in the sense that it's very high risk to dogs certain types of dogs I'll talk about that in a little bit um, but it's something that is is in many cases preventable and treatable and dealable if you know what you're dealing with so in short bloat or uh, it's also called gastric torsion, we used to call that. If you're familiar with horses, a lot of horses, uh, horse people call it colic. GDV. Um, it's called GDV in the dog world, um, gastric dilatation, valvulus. And um, it's, a, it's a condition where the stomach twists in a dog, 
causing a loss of blood, causing uh, gases to build up inside the stomach, and it is a life-threatening situation. And I'm going to give you some tips tonight on how you can actually deal with that and how you can address that and making sure that uh, if uh, something like that comes up. Uh, you can talk about some of the symptoms, right? Yeah, so some of the symptoms can be like unproductive vomiting, so trying to vomit, uh, apparent distress, uh, distended abdomen, which is what most people usually recognize um, as one of the first symptoms. Uh, and these, this could be visible, it could not be visible in some of these symptoms. It's kind of different for every dog. You know, restlessness, excessive salivation, drooling, panting, pacing, um, repeated turning and looking back at like their flank or their abdomen, um, or even just if you don't feel something is right, you know, if they don't have any desire to eat, if they're just acting very lethargic, all of these symptoms can actually be applied to and, and potentially be a bloat situation. Uh, and so, you know, that, the actual causes are kind of debated, but you can go yeah. to... And on the subject of symptoms, I want to always caution everybody. You know, when we when we write these notes and when we talk to people, when you go to your vet, you talk to them, they'll say, well, you know, it'll display these kind of symptoms. I've experienced bloat probably a dozen to maybe 20 times in my life in, in various situations. We had in the military, we had a situation with a Doberman, absolutely fine. Dog was just on his own. He was in his kennel and all of a sudden he went down. At the time, to be honest, I didn't know what it looked like. I had not experienced it at that stage. Uh, there were three or four of us there at the time, and none of, none of us really knew what to do. We basically saw this dog just collapse, and we rushed the dog to the vet, so we didn't make it in time, and this very valuable, very expensive dog passed away. Now that we've learned a lot more, we've also learned that we don't even know that much about what it is. And so when I mention these symptoms, or when Christopher mentions these symptoms, just keep in mind they don't always present themselves. You know, the one, for instance, where the stomach blows up or swells up, that only comes in a very later stage. So just because you're not seeing a symptom does not mean to say that you're actually experiencing it. Here at Partners, we've encountered bloat maybe eight or ten times over the last 20 years. Um, we've been very fortunate that in that time only one of those dogs uh, did not, actually two of those dogs did not make it, but all the others did. Um, one of the dogs that, that did not make it was one that, that is real sensitive to us because it was one of our, our favorite dogs, belonged to a top client and there was no symptoms, no signs of anything. All of a sudden we noticed the dog was in distress, we raced the dog to the vet, and it was too late, they couldn't save the dog. Um, on all the others, on most of the others, <clears throat> we, um, we were able to recognize it. In actual fact, the most recent one was about five months ago, four months ago. Uh, one of the trainers recognized was a dog that she's very familiar with. And that's one of the symptoms that Christopher mentioned, is that if you have a situation where your dog is just, just looking off, they just look uncomfortable or whatever, that potentially could be bloat. Well, the trainer was very familiar with this dog. They'd been training it with, with it for a while. They recognized something was wrong. They called, uh, we have a protocol in place of how they call emergency. Uh, in this particular case, I happened to be here. Um, they called me from the, office, the, 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 the training floor. I got down there within 15, 20 seconds, took one look at the dog, basically thought that this looks like bloat to me. We have a protocol and we're gonna talk about protocol here in a second of what I suggest to you guys. And we followed the protocol, raced the dog to the vet, we let the vet know ahead of time, we got the dog there and the dog was, was fine. It was a great day and, and uh, everything worked out okay. But in this particular case, had we not known and recognized and followed all our protocols, protocol that, that I wrote basically a number of years ago, that dog would definitely not have made it. And we found out subsequently the dog had a history of, of this kind of situation. So when, when we talk about symptoms, just always remember symptoms don't always present themselves. 
Yeah, and if you do suspect, uh, you know, your dog of bloating, definitely rush them to the hospital, rush them to a veterinarian right away. This is not something that you can, you know, wait until morning or that you can try and, and, you know, fix yourself. It's, it's something that really has to be addressed by, by a veterinarian. Yep. One of the only ways that they can address it is with a process called gastropexy. Um, where they basically have, they need to go in, do surgery. They untwist the stomach and then they suture it to the body uh, body wall of their uh, of their uh, of the dog in order to prevent it from twisting again. Right. And, and just on that, that they can do that in advance as well. That's, yeah, that's, that's also one, that's one of the yeah, prevention it's not, techniques. It's not just when it's when, at the end. right, yeah. right. And 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 people often refer to that as tacking the stomach, T A C K I N G tacking. Um, you can do it uh, as Christopher said. We can talk about it in more detail later, but. Don't, you know, obviously if your dog is bloating, that's an emergency you've got to get them in for. And then you can discuss once they save your dog, we can discuss, you know, what preventative measures they are while the dog is in surgery. And most vets will in actual fact do the tech at that stage. I think most vets would. Um, just want to mention one of the things, well, we're not vets. I'm not a yeah. vet. All I know is just from experience, having done this for a long time and been around dogs for a long time. But I'll be the first person to tell you that I'm no vet and I, I most definitely don't profess to have the knowledge that some of the vets have. Um, I have a very close friend, uh, Dr. Steve Gilson, who is a phenomenal vet and who has saved two of my personal dogs over the years, as well as, I think, two client dogs, including the Great Dane we talked about just now. Um, you know, but, but obviously there are a lot of vets out there uh, that know how to deal with this and that can deal with it. But you really need a vet that is clued up and can jump on the game straight away. So talking about some of the, the causes... Uh so one of the problems we have with this whole thing with uh, bloat is that nobody knows exactly what it is that causes bloat. In the old days, we used to think it was exercise. So what would happen is you take your dog out, you'd run your dog like crazy, throw a ball, play, let the dog carry on, and then um, your dog would then come back and tank up on a bunch of water or eat a bunch of food, and then that would trigger this bloat situation, the, the water intake and the food intake in conjunction with the excessive exercise just before that. So we had a rule that basically for an hour or so after exercise, we wouldn't let them have water, we wouldn't let them have food. And most of the bloats that I've encountered have related to that type of scenario. The problem is that there are other scenarios that are present that have nothing to do with exercise. Um, one of our very close friends, Dr. Betsy Gilpin, been a client of mine for close to 20 years, I think now. Isn't it? Betsy been out 20 years? Um, uh, almost as long, but, at least as long as I've been um, yeah, around. I gave a, I, I taught a seminar one day, I believe it was at a seminar, Betsy was there many years ago, and, and we were talking about bloat, and it was not as detailed as what tonight is, but we're talking about, you know, how to prevent, how to recognize, what to do if it happens, etc. Anyway, one Sunday morning, and I hope she doesn't mind me telling the story, I'm sure she'll be okay with that, she's told enough people, um, but one Sunday morning, her and her husband got up, and they were just kind of like moseying around the house, they had not fed the dog yet, their dog yet, um, and the dog had not had water yet, so it's important, those two factors. Well, anyway, she noticed that, that her one dog, and I forget which dog it was. She's going to kill me. But anyway, um, she has a lot of dogs and has had a lot of dogs. Uh, but anyways, her dog started presenting some symptoms, and she looked uncomfortable. dog wouldn't lay down, and the dog lay down and kind of stood back up again. And she was like, well, I wonder what's going on with my dog. And all of a sudden, she, like, and she, she tells me to this day, she's like, oh, my gosh, my dog must be bloating. She called the vet, rushed the dog to the vet, and absolutely, the, her particular case, the dog had started to go into that condition, and her recognizing it ahead of time saved her dog's life. So, in her case, the symptom was, I'm sorry, the, the cause was nothing to do with exercise. Yeah. Um, so, there's really no specific thing. The, the one thing which, uh, 
which I do know as well is that a lot of times certain breeds, mm-hmm. um, I think you had a breed list that... Yeah, uh, so like Great Danes, St. Bernards, Weimaraners, really any type of breed with deep, narrow-chested bodies um, are a higher risk at bo- uh, for bloating. I think the statistic, and, and obviously we don't love statistics because they can definitely be swayed in, in yeah. one direction or another, but the statistics supposedly is that they're 20% higher risk um, of, of having a bloat, uh, especially if a dog has a history or uh, like a family history of bloating, so like their parents have bloated, su- supposed to, uh, they're not supposed to breed those dogs after that because it can supposedly be passed down uh, into the pups and so forth. So Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, and, and on that subject of the breeds, something to keep in mind is it's, when we talk about it's family-based, it's a genetic thing based yeah, on that Dobermans. particular breed. So, so as Christopher mentioned, the different breeds, uh, the ones that I've encountered, Shepherds, Great Danes, Dobermans, um, we had a small dog bloat uh, many, many years ago. Uh, was it a Basset? I can't remember now. But, but a, a smaller breed of dog. We recognized that it was on Sunday morning. Uh, but one of the trainers walked past the dog's kennel while they were cleaning and fixing up uh, and doing all the things, duties and so forth, and saw that the dog was dis- in discomfort, called me. I came in um, and uh, recognized immediately what was going on. And we took the dog to vet and obviously we survived. You know, the dog survived. Um, older dogs like yeah older, older dogs, dogs are, are more risk, um, risk. there 's actually a formula that i 'd heard about years ago, and when in preparation for this program, I actually looked it up and i couldn 't find the formula, but basically they take the the chest cavity uh, the, the width of the chest and the length of the chest, and it comes out of the formula and um, and if you are over a certain amount, then your dog has something like a ninety five percent chance of loading, and if you 're under it 's a little bit less. Um, you know, again, the problem with statistics that I don't like, and, and the reason why every time we bring up statistics, I'm kind of like saying, eh, I don't like that, is that, you know, we're like the doctor school for behavioral training. So the vast majority of dogs that come to us have some kind of behavioral issue. So we, we really get a slanted view of a lot of these things. So for us to yeah. start calling statistics and saying, well, you know, we've encountered this, well, yeah, but the majority of dogs we train are large breed dogs. So we're going to see right. more of that than what the average kennel or the average homeowner will see. Um, and, and something, uh, just talk about that for a second. I wanted to find a note that I made here. So so at least in terms of getting your dog to a vet, which is really the, the first thing you should do almost as soon as you notice any type of symptoms. Now, if you're kind of like on the edge of maybe your dog, maybe they just have you know some type of stomach ache or they're just walking a little funny, it could be something else. You can definitely still call a veterinarian, uh, get their input, but more times than not, I would say just recommending on going to the vet having them check the dog in the worst cases if they don't believe that it's bloat then they can you know wait on it um, or at least make let them make a decision uh, the fact is though unfortunately even dogs that go through treatment where they have that surgery uh, unfortunately only one-third of dogs actually make it through that surgery uh, though those that's, those that's dogs that have bloated right dogs yeah. have bloated yeah. yep dogs that have bloated and that have gone through the surgery about one-third supposedly make it through the surgery so the chances of survival um, definitely not great. Now they're a lot higher the quicker you can get your dog to right. the vet. That's critical. Yeah. Uh, timing is absolutely critical. Yeah. So here are a couple of tips for you on, on getting your dog to vet. First of all, always know who your emergency vet is. Like yeah. it always open amazes hours. me. The emergency yeah. vet is open, open 24, 24 hours, hours a day or, or, or uh, certainly extended hours at a, at a minimum anyway. There's four or five of them up here in the North Valley, urgent care, pet urgent care, animal health services. Um, there's one over in Scottsdale, I forget their full name, but know who an emergency vet is. Secondly, put it in your phone under emergency vet. 
The reason why I say that is because if that situation presents, you may be in a situation, you know, trying to deal with your dog. It might be a panic situation. You're stressed out. You're traumatized. You know, it's your baby that's sick. And your baby at that point in time is dying. So it, it, there are two, a lot of, not a lot of things that are more traumatic than having a, a child or a pet uh, in that scenario. I remember when Christopher was a little guy, he developed a hernia in his stomach and I took him off to hospital and he was crying and miserable. And everything. And um, <clears throat> the doctor went and pushed his hernia back into his stomach again and Christopher screamed blue murder. And even though I knew it was the right thing and I knew he was doing the correct thing, I can tell you I wasn't happy about this guy making my child cry. And that story is always stuck in my mind because that's the, the friends and family issue where you, where you know it's the right thing, but it's emotional, it's tough, it's distracting. We're always very protective of our, of our animals and of our children. Um, so to go back to the vet thing, make sure you have that number programmed into your phone that you can call it. Call it at a, at a moment's notice or while you're dealing with your dog, you can give it to somebody and say, hey, look up emergency vet and call that number. Secondly, this is what you got to do. When you call it into the vet, if you suspect that you have a bloat, you must inform the vet, hey, we have a potential bloat case coming in, the dog is bloating, we're going to be there in 10 minutes or whatever the case is. And the reason for that is because they can prepare for that. They can get fluids ready, they can get an operating room ready, they understand that time is critical. And trust me, they want to do their best to help you and your dog. So if you call your vet and you can't, or they don't have a vet on staff, or they, you can't get them there, or they have some issue or whatever, I would have a second or a backup vet. We actually have four different vets on st that, that we keep available to us here at the school so that if we have an emergency, we call the first vet. If that vet's not available for whatever reason, we go straight to the second vet, etc. We've even, in the one case I just remember now, we called both the first two vets at the same time to see which one could get us faster. And I forget which one we went to. But um, again, preparation is the key to success here because you have no extra time. Now, here's the factor on time. I had a German Shepherd. Actual fact, it was the predecessor to your dog, Ludwig. Ludwig is, of course, our program that we named. Uh, um, we named after Chris our after dog. Christopher's dog. The dog before that was a dog called Desire or Izzy, and uh, he had a situation one day. We were doing bite work training. Uh, he was one of my working dogs, and when he was finished with bite work training, I came back to my office, and he kind of walked in. And next thing I knew, uh, one of my trainers called me to say he was drinking water out of the toilet. And so I rushed in there, I called him out of there, I made him come and lie down next to me, and I started watching him, and then I saw the symptoms start. This was a $30,000 dog, so you can understand, not only is my baby, but he's a very, very expensive dog. Anyway, noticed the symptoms started to start, called the vet, rushed him into the vet, nothing. Just lay, he basically was fine. So the vet had us hold and wait for a little while, and uh, eventually after like an hour, hour or two or something like that, I left him at the vet, and I, they said they'll keep an eye on him, I came home. Sadly, they didn't keep an eye on him. They were watching him, but not watching him close enough because next thing I know, he was semi-conscious and they had to rush him into surgery. Fortunately, they were able to save him because it was right there. But again, time was critical, even though they weren't paying enough attention to him at that time. And no, I don't use that vet anymore. But um, the fact is, because he was there, they were able to save him and almost definitely he would not have made it. Um, in another particular case, uh, also one of my own personal dogs, uh, Crush, my big Belgian, I'm sorry, my uh, Belgian Malin, I'm calling him the wrong breed, my yeah. Dutch Shepherd, yeah. um, he also bloated one day um, uh, related to training. And it sounds like we have so many of these, but understand, we train 4,000 dogs a year, you know, 20 years of training, we're talking about years. maybe 15 to 20 cases yeah. or something, and I'm talking about cases that have happened over the last, you know, 20 years, plus ones going further back in the military and so on. But anyway, when Crush had a problem, we took him up to the vet, 
And the vet was unsure as to what it was. We took an x-ray over him. They, his stomach had not twisted, but he was not looking good and so forth. He was just very uncomfortable. And um, I then called up Dr. Gilson, and he said, you know what, bring him down here. Let's have a look. And just before we took him down, they did something which, which is not common, but it's not unusual, where they actually stuck a broad-gauge needle into the side wall of his stomach. And what that does is releases the air out of his stomach. Well, I took him down to, to Dr. Gilson, and Dr. Gilson said, you know, we're just going to watch him for a while. Well, of course, remember my story previously? I was like, eh, you know, I don't want to take a chance. And he's like, no, no, he's good, he's good, let's just keep an eye on him. Well, the good news is that he was fine. About four or five hours later, he was absolutely fine. The, the swelling had gone down, the expansion had gone down, um, and, and I was able to take him home, and he's fine. So you just don't know, and that's why you have to bring the vets into it and, and talk to them about it. Now, the big question that everyone really asks is how can you actually prevent bloat? And to be honest, for veterinarians and for trainers and everyone in the dog world, there's really, it's, it, there's a lot of debate in terms of, first of all, what causes it and how you can even prevent it. Um, now, if you look online, you'll find a plethora of solutions that supposedly are preventions, but most of them are, are really false or don't work every single time. So, like, sometimes they blamed it on diet. They've said that, you know, cereal-type foods were... Um, are the cause of it, but the fact is that most larger, you know, chested breeds are fed cereal type foods, and so that doesn't necessarily quantify out. Um, but there are some things that you can kind of do again to kind of prevent, uh, or at least lower the risk of uh, of your dog bloating without necessarily eliminating it. You want to mm -hmm. talk about some of that? Yeah. So raising the food off the ground is something we do here at the school. Um, now, some people think it's a waste of time, but we prefer yeah. to do it. So when we get a high-risk dog in, we'll try and raise their food up a little bit more. And, and um, again, just to keep in mind, the one of the causes supposedly, again, to, to bloat is that when a dog is eating very fast or drinking water very fast, which is typically done like right after exercise, um, then that is when they're a little bit more higher risk to bloat. So if a dog eats very fast, they're up to supposedly five times uh, the risk of actually bloating because they allow that air into their body while they're eating their food and while they're drinking their water. So that's why using a, an elevated bowl um, keeps their, and again, there's some controversy in terms of if this actually helps or not, but it allows them to, to maybe not drink or eat as fast. And so that uh, limits the risk of that. And I don't know if I mentioned it, uh, but putting water with their food softens the food a little bit, means it's not dry. So again, if you think um, and I just remembered another case of bloat as well many years ago. Gosh, going back 26 years, a dog of, of mine called Sasha, I was out, dog got into the dog food, um, into the dog food cupboard actually, opened the cupboard, got into the dog food, ate about, oh gosh, about 8 or 10 pounds of dog food, which is about half the size of the dog's weight. And uh, fortunately, couldn't get to enough water. When I came home, the dog was huge and we managed to get the dog in and, and get the stomach cleared out and so forth um, but again adding water to the food pre to the pre, uh, uh, prior to feeding them is going to make that situation a little bit better and also feeding multiple times a day because right if good point yep, if two or three getting, times a day right um, generally as with most dogs we prefer that you that you feed them twice a day you know two meals twice a day that's what we do here at the school we don't like doing a one meal a day situation because it increases our risk of bloat and then also because a lot of times we're using the food in training and so we want to basically spread that out so it'll be like a meal but the other the other half of their daily ration 
the other meal will be given to them during training. And going back to some of the behavioral aspects of it, if your dog is, you know, very, is a resource guarder uh, or is very anxious, especially around other people, around other dogs, and that's the reason why they're eating their food fast, it's a really good idea to try and solve that core behavior because, again, eating food faster increases their chance of bloating. Uh, you can put things like fingers, which are basically like little bowls with center posts in the middle so that the dog has to kind of work a little bit so they can't just devour their food. They have to, you know, work a little bit slow, to get it slow, and so forth. Slow, yeah, slow, slow feeders. Slow feeders. Um, you know, explain what slow feed is because a lot of times we use these terms and, and a lot of people yeah, don't know. Yeah, so a slow feeder, if you almost imagine, it's a, it's just like a metal bowl that a, a dog would normally eat out of, but there's a, a large center post in the middle where the food then sits around kind of like the ridge and so in order for a dog to get that, they have to use their tongue a little bit more. And it, it again, just basically slows down their ability to eat. Uh, if, if you Google slow feeder, if you look it up on Amazon, they're really easy to find. Yeah. Uh, and they're you know, great tools overall just to, if you have a dog that is eating their food too quickly uh, to, to utilize. But again, and if they have a behavioral issue that's causing them to eat the food too quickly, a slow feeder might help, but it's not going to solve the core issue. So that's when you really might need to seek some more professional help. And by the way, dogs can eat fast without it being detrimental to them. It's just, obviously, we're talking about bloat today. So if you have a dog with a high risk towards that, then that's something you want to consider. Talking about eating fast, next week we're going to be talking. Christopher is going to be out of town next week. I wish I could tell you he's working. But I probably will be working, honestly, out there. Oh, sure. No, no, no. I, so I'm going, to, I'm going to the Dominican Republic as a, as a vacation. But I honestly, I like the times that I have been away, I still... I still work, and yep, uh, so I'll probably get bored after like the first day, and then I'll just be on the beach, but still still a good environment to work in. I think I'm going to be checking his computer next week, yeah. by remote. But anyways, so he's off next week, but I'm going to be here, and next week I'm going to be talking about resource guarding. So we talked about food a second ago, resource guarding. If you have somebody who has a problem with resource guarding, if you don't know what that is, it's basically where a dog shows reactivity or aggression towards uh, eating. And it could just be something as simple yep. as a dog like, hiding their toys right. or hiding their food or when you walk over kind of like slunching slunching over their food just a little bit more it, it, there's a whole bunch of different levels so it's a really fascinating interesting behavior and and i'm going to bring my uh, my little yorkie in and I'm, i'll see if i can actually stage it because this little yorkie if you give her a little treat she resource guards the treat and you can actually see it in it she's not supposed to she gets corrected for that but she's a baby and she's learning but it's actually quite funny to see. Now, of course, that's me being a dad talking instead of me being a trainer because it's not funny. They shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that next week. Um, something else that I wanted to bring up as well uh, as we get towards the end of this uh, session is that uh, we're going to start a new segment. And I'm just going to briefly touch on it tonight. Uh, we're gonna Real quick, before you get in, you mentioned earlier the, the trend of a preventative surgical measure oh, yeah. uh, to stopping blow. So it's essentially where you that that uh, that act of suturing the dog's stomach to their tacking, body wall yeah. tacking that it's called uh now this is a, a very complicated word laparoscopo laparoscopically yeah it's, it's done laparoscopically laparoscope yeah yeah uh and that basically reduces the evasiveness of doing that right. uh, that tacking process now it is not necessarily a, a bad thing it's not going to like hurt your dog it's just not necessarily always needed. And so depending on whether or not it's cost effective is kind of debated because you don't necessarily know, even though your dog might be at higher risk, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to bloat. Um, so it's kind of based on, on you and obviously consulting with your vet to make sure if that's the, the right choice. Right, and on that, that procedure, uh, just so that you understand, a lot of times if you're doing medical treatment with your dog anyway, you're doing a, 
a spay or a neuter or you have to have some kind of procedure or maybe you've got them anesthetic for, for having the ears done and so forth, that's the time to chat with your vet and see whether you and them uh, uh, determine whether it's worth tacking your dog's stomach. Uh, what we're always concerned about is any time you put an animal, even a person, under anesthetic, we're always concerned about the risk because things go wrong. Uh, many years ago, my top dog, the dog that I became famous for in training, a dog called Bodger, German Shepherd, uh, he was a show dog, he was a competition dog, he was a movie dog, we'd used him in a bunch of different movies and so forth. He was a very famous dog and his owner, who's one of my clients obviously, took him in one day to just get his ears cleaned, they put him on anesthetic and he never came back, he died under anesthetic. And afterwards, I was like, what the heck were you guys thinking, you know, to the vet? I knew the vet, and um, I suspect that there was some, that the vet wasn't watching the dog carefully enough, and this was a big dog. So, so anytime we're doing surgery on a dog, we're always concerned about safety, and I'm very, very, I'm paranoid about that. So I'm not suggesting by any means that you go and have your dog's stomach tacked because they're at risk. But if you're already doing the surgeries, then doing that, especially if they can do it laparoscopically, then, you know, that makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier now than it used to be in the old days. We covered everything on bloat. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, good. so obviously, you know, like we said, it's very hard to address necessarily causes or, or everything like that. Um, but as long as you really stay vigilant and and try and implement as many of the preventative procedures as possible, you can definitely save your dog's life uh, and and potentially have to take him to the hospital. But it increases your chance of success. So definitely a very important thing to to look out for, especially in the Arizona summer heat that we all know and love. And, and I just remembered something else I knew I'd look at and I just found in my notes where I said that. So one of the things that we always do when we get back from exercise, if your dog's really thirsty, is you give them five seconds to drink. So you let them they start drinking and count down five and then that's it. Take the bowl of water away from them. Make sure they can't get to a toilet. Make sure they can't get to another location, another food uh, water source or whatever. The second thing you can do is if you take their water bowl or their bucket and you're concerned that you can't watch them closely enough, just put in half an inch to an inch of water in the bottom. That's actually what we'll often do if we're doing a hard training session with some of our working dogs or the, or the dogs that are doing agility or sports and we put them back in their kennels. We just give them a little bit of water for an, a half an hour to an hour and then we kind of fill the bowl up after that because then by that stage the risk has subsided. And you know, as I'm saying this, of course, I'm thinking there's going to be people out there saying it has nothing to do with water intake. Yeah, I understand that. I uh, also understand that we don't know exactly what it is. So as far as I'm concerned, we take all the precautions we can. And right. that way, if something like that should present, we at least are taking the precautions. Yeah. And make sure you've got that phone number programmed into your phone. Okay. Now we're done. Now, now, now we're done with that. New so segment. this new little thing that we're going to start doing is something that it breaks my heart to even bring this up. But it, the, the world is changing, folks. It's the legal attack on our rights as dog owners. And, and what it is is that you know, I, have, I belong to an organization which is a trainer organization and it's a membership uh, only you have to qualify to become, to become a member. Um, and one of the advantages to belong to them is they send out these reports all the time. And they, one of the things that it started in Florida, and it actually started in the therapy slash service dog world where a service dog went into a, they were, they were discussing laws and restricting trainers and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to give you full detail. But anyway, the service dog was in this, this uh, room with the, with the uh, town council and they, the guy that had the service dog, who was a complete idiot in my opinion, um, he took the dog up to the front to show them his friendly dog and the dog attacked the child. And this was in full view of everybody. And of course, at that stage, they just turned around and they passed this, this law. The problem is that the law is now affecting a bunch of other people. And what's in that law is they're limiting the types of equipment we use. They're calling e-collars dangerous and, 
and bad for dogs. And there's all sorts of things like that that are coming down the pike. So, you know, it's unfortunately time that I think we get involved in trying to limit these things because a lot of these kinds of measures get pushed through by a very tiny minority. But the problem is that it affects, it affects all of us. If you don't know, this is not the same thing and not the same law. But, for example, there's a six-foot leash law in Phoenix, in the city, in the town of Phoenix. And a lot of people that walk around with flexies that are longer than six feet, they're actually in violation of the law. Now, this is not the same thing as the law that I'm talking about where they're restricting equipment, but it's something that you need to be aware of because they could bring in new laws that could make a lot of the equipment that they're using, training collars, prong collars. I mean, they've got a list of stuff mm -hmm. that makes those collars illegal to use, and it wouldn't be difficult to piggyback that onto something that's already in place, such as the leash law. So, well, even in Europe, e-collars are now banned. Right, in, in some, some parts, parts of Europe. Parts of Europe. And, and it's absolutely ridiculous. It has nothing to do with the equipment. It has to do with how you use it. I mean, you could make a strong argument for the fact that even one of the friendly harnesses or whatever, and I say that because I can't mention names, but there are some harnesses or some collars or some restraints, nose restraints. Um, I'm so tempted to say the names so you guys all understand what I'm talking about. But if used incorrectly, it could also injure a dog. So don't sit there and say, well, you, you know, this is a... with your voice, verbal correction. Or right, verbal you, if you use it incorrectly and yeah. so forth. So anyway, the legal thing is something I'm going to start up doing. I'm going to kind of just have some points. We won't spend more than a minute or two actually talking about it. And if you guys have any questions or whatever, you know, let me know. Um, if you have contacts, a lot of these things are coming through from San Diego as well. Uh, and the crazy part is that there's also a big move to go after breeders and breeding. They used the puppy store thing as a, as a model to jumpstart this whole program, but now they're coming after breeders as well. So if you, have, uh, if you breed dogs, uh, you're going to be one of the next targets. And if you think because you're an AKC breeder, that's going to protect you, I've seen, the, I've seen wordage being used where they're even saying that AKC breeding is incorrect and we shouldn't be breeding dogs at all. We should get all our dogs as rescues. Now, again, I love rescues. I mean, probably I mean, two of my own dogs are rescues and probably 75% of the dogs in our kennels are rescues. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be rescuing. I absolutely believe in that. We, we give rescues tens of thousands of dollars of worth of training a year. But I'm saying if you, have the, if you want to go buy a dog from an AKC registered breeder or whatever, you should have the right to do that. And legislation should not take that away from you. Yeah, On a more fun note, to end this uh, session off, do you have anything else before I get to that? I'm good. So, <laughs> Well, we have the question today, but we can do that after you. Yeah, okay, we can. Yeah, let's do that now, actually. Okay, so last week we had uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands on the show. We had an yep. amazing, amazing show talking about mindset and focus and, and how to deal with wins and losses and everything like that in terms of personal development. And remember, this show, guys, um, the Ustason show is really meant to be about us, so there's so many different aspects of our lives that we want to talk about. Obviously, dog's probably the biggest one, but we also want to talk about business. We want to talk about marketing. Uh, we want to talk about personal development because I think it's very important for our, our viewers to see all different aspects of what makes us and what makes partners uh, come to be. And so we had, we had Bethany last week on the show and her question of the day, and I'll, uh, I'll say it here. So uh, let's see, I need to actually find it here. Da -da 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 -da. Oh yeah, her question of the day was what on your day day-to-day -day brings you the most passion so you said you had a, a good answer for that so last week. so this comes out of the shooting world and I, if you don't know uh, Christopher and I both shoot competitively uh, we're part of Team USA we shoot for the United States and uh, it, it comes out of that but it actually is a little bit more than that so for me it's basically the the enjoyment that I get from being around people that are both competitive but also very successful um, that's what brings me the most passion. I, 
I just love it. It doesn't matter whether it's the shooting world that I live in and some of my closest friends are world champions. I'm, I'm technically a world champion, but as a team, not as an individual. And when you see these guys and you see their performance, this morning at 5.45 this morning, I was talking to a guy called JJ Ricazzo. I'm sure none of you know that who that is, but he's a, he's a world champion uh, shooter. Actually, I don't know. Has he got a world championship? I think he does. Well, anyway, he's probably the number one shooter in the world right now. But phenomenal guy, really good guy. And, and when him and I were talking earlier this morning, I could literally feel the passion coming out of his, mm-hmm. his text message. He's telling me what I need to practice and what I need to work on. And it's just so cool. And that's, that's I think. So it's something that you excel at. On the dog side, it's getting those results from your dog. This morning, this afternoon, I was sitting in the office. And a lot of times when I'm in the office with, uh, with people coming in, they have no idea who I am. And I kind of like that because it gives me a chance to talk to them and get to know them. Um, I had a lady show up the other day, a very nice lady, but she had a dog that she wants to train as a therapy dog. And I was like, I'm thinking, I'm listening to her talking to one of my trainers and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a tricky conversation. Then eventually I'm like, all right, I got to talk to you. This is not going to work. I said, I don't know how to break this to you, but that dog is not a suitable dog for the work that you want to do. And so that passion, hmm? bumping the table a lot. Oh, I'm bumping the table. I'm sorry, messing the microphone. So, so, and then I, I spent probably 15 minutes chatting with her. And I don't want to say I talked her out of it, but she decided not to use that particular dog for therapy dog. And, and that's the passion we feel. We want the best possible results. It's not an easy career. There's no real money in this career, I promise you. But it's the passion of seeing people and their results and so on. And in Bethany's case, you know, and, and, and the sad part, and, and I'm... Uh, probably, I don't think I'm going to be in trouble. I think she posted on Instagram, yeah, posted right, that she's in New York. Mm-hmm. So the saddest part about last weekend is that I didn't even know that. When we had that interview, literally just before Bethany got to the to our little interview with us, she almost turned around and went home because she just got the news that she had to go in for another surgery. So her talking about, you know, to the next, going to the next match in a week and a half's time, which is one of her favorite matches, and, and on the American Sur tour that's out for right now she's got to go back into surgery back into hospital in fact today she had it so our best wishes and and prayers and thoughts but boy how tough is that for her to sit here and joke with us and talk about uh competing and talk about injuries and stuff knowing that literally you know half an hour before that she got this news and and afterwards when she texted me that that news she said hey you know i I just wanted to tell you but and one of the things she wrote and unfortunately my phone is the one that's used to the recording i would love to read you a message but she said basically like, hey, it just shows you we've got to live the life we promote to others. That's the passion. So if you listen to nothing else I say, just think of that passion. Think of enjoying every day and going out there and just killing it every day because you just don't know what's coming down the road, you know? Yeah, I think it's a very similar thing for me is, is just really I'm very you know into to business. And, and one of the biggest reasons why I'm so into business is because it gives you a huge platform to be able to help endless amount of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with our businesses specifically, we're not just helping you know the humans, but we're also helping the dogs that are associated with them. And so uh, that is a, a huge part of my life. That's definitely one of the things that brings me the most passion on day to day. I also have another company which is focused on early childhood education, which is also another huge passion of mine, just because I think that the education system is so inefficient. And I think we can do a lot of things with technology to uh, to better it and improve it. So that is... Uh, you might want to elaborate on that just a touch. I know what you mean by that because we've been... Education's but, inefficient? Yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone agrees. If they don't, they're wrong. So if there any school but, teachers out there listening to this, just understand it was his well, comment. And, so and my direct mom's your a school emails. teacher. So, so, yeah. it's, so it, just send those emails to Christopher, not to it, me. Here's the thing. It's not the teachers that 
it's not the teacher's fault. It's the system that is designed around them that is not enabling them to have the most success with the with the children that they're teaching. So that's really, you know, those are the two, I think, aspects of my life that bring me the most passion, really just a matter of helping people and helping people reach the, the best versions of themselves. So that's... Uh, and I that finally was, found how I can see who's watching the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> just found it right yeah, now while I was clicking it. around there. So Aaron, Arin, Arin, Sarah, Kevin, and I know Luella was there a few minutes ago because I saw her comments. Um, and last weekend after our show, because we didn't have that many people watching because we had some technical issues. Last weekend, uh, a bunch of people came up to me when I was at a competition and said, mm -hmm. hey, watch your show. Mm -hmm. So we really appreciate that. And yep. So I'm going to wrap my side of it. Christopher can do his. You know, darling, every Wednesday we're going to try and keep this going. So um, Oh, I forget what that was. That's my <laughs> life. Um, but uh, yeah, stay with us. And uh, well, so we have our question today for for next week. If you guys, if anyone had uh, a history or a story or an example of a dog that maybe they knew or one of their friends' dogs that bloated, uh, that's kind of our question, quote unquote, uh, of the day today. So comment it below. Send it to us in an email. Uh, we'd love to kind of hear the different examples that you guys might give and maybe give some insight to us as well. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that concludes our show for the day in terms of bloats. Thank you guys for watching. Remember to tune in next Wednesday at 6 p.m. I won't be here, but he will be here talking about resource guarding. But he's going to be watching, right? And we're going to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll be watching. Yeah. I'll be watching. I'll probably be sharing it on the different pages and so forth. So I uh, definitely recommend checking that out next week uh, at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Let's see if I can end the show from here. Otherwise, I might have to jump up and grab it. You have anything else? Nope, that's it. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll chat next week.